It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 750. And we've got special guests on the show. I was about to say in the studio. On the show, though, Dom Pim from Up. How are you, mate? Welcome to the show. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Dom, I don't know if it's uh, a hard question to lead with, but uh, you are the founder of Up, which is a bank. Can you explain how do you start a bank yeah, or co-founder first. Like, there's okay, there's, yeah, uh, sure. there's two. There's, there's a few of us. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think start, I can't take all the credit, but yeah, starting a bank is not. Uh, it's not easy, um, but it, but also I guess you have to have a desire or a reason reason for doing it. So for us, it was um, a lot of it was born out of frustration, not just with the existing uh, capabilities and systems, but also with our experience. So we worked for oh about five five or six years uh, in the banking sector, building technology working with banks. Uh, we worked with one of the big Australian banks to build a digital bank in Asia across 10 countries. So that was just a small project. And uh, it, never quite got, it never quite got off the ground. Uh, and then we came back to Australia and started working with another big bank, uh, one of the top, top, top four banks here, um, to build a digital bank in Australia. And, and, and it never shipped to customers either. So, so that sort of story is, is um, the genesis of the reason why you would want to do it. Mm. Uh, because we're like, well, why don't we just do it ourselves? This is crazy. <laughs> you so know, where, we wanted, it, we, where, where was it falling over? Like, if you, like, how far along do you get before you realise that you can't do it? Uh, we're about four years in, uh, so Ouch. we've been, uh, yeah. So that's like we've made money, obviously, but we've been uh, working with Bendigo and Adelaide Bank for uh, five or six years, and we 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 build the fifth biggest banking system in Australia uh, for, for Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, and it has a, a few different brands that, that it's sort of marketed by within their group: Adelaide Bank, Bendigo Bank, Rural Bank, mm. Delphi Bank, and so on. But the Bendigo Bank part of it is kind of, I guess, the, the most well known nationally. Um, but that that's the fifth largest banking platform in Australia. So that's sort of been our core business for the last uh, eight or nine years. And that sort of kept us, you know, kept us in business and that's how we make our money. Um, and then these other projects we were working on were for other banks. They saw what we were doing with Bendigo and they're like, oh, these guys are awesome. Uh, let's build a digital bank together. And the frustration came about because they're just morose, these organizations. Like they, they're not very good at technology. Um, they take a long time to do anything. And then just getting uh, stuff out to customers and being able to create that sort of feedback loop with customers where you can continually get better and better. Banks are just not very good at that. I actually ask the question, mm. I turn it around the other way and ask people all the time, tell me a bank that you know of in the world that's good at technology. Oh, I mean, the closest one has been ComBank and their app for me, but I still don't think it, you know, it doesn't, it's not up there, I don't think. Yeah. Like, well, Dom, I just signed up for Up and it took me all of five minutes and I, I, I did the verification. The only thing that I'm really pissed off about, Dom, is that I didn't ask Mason for his referral. So I got oh. five bucks and he got five bucks. <laughs> Absolute amateur move on my behalf. But I will be sending the uh, referral to you, JJ. Unless you could, you, why don't you put it in the podcast link? Well, it's only one. Oh, it's okay, only one. Okay. I mean, you know. Maybe in Discord at Tommy Jacket in the Discord <laughs> and he'll send you a link. Um, Dom, I, I heard you say that you're a tech company design led that's doing banking. Which I mean is a um, what, what's striking about Up is its design, and I think it's, it, you're obviously putting that as a, a piece forefront. How much of that was early days? You realised that it needed to be something that connects on a visual level before people even jump into the app itself and and its usability. I think a lot of it has got to do with um, reflecting the personalities of the people that are involved. 
So like I've had a design company in the past and we've got a bunch of people who are ex-designers or even some current designers. And so design is sort of embedded in what we do and how we think. It's actually something that is sort of a reflection of the people that are involved. So it wasn't like we came out of bed one morning and said, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great to design a good bank? Like it didn't sort of happen that way. It's just whenever we do anything, we do it really, really well. Um, and from a technology perspective, but also from a design perspective. And what actually followed was a love for the brand and a love for the user experience and a love for just the the, the way people become embedded in what it is mm -hmm. that we're doing and what we're offering. And I think that that uh, love then reflects back to us and then we want to do even better again. So, so that sort of creates this uh, ultimate quality sort of feedback loop um, where, where we have so much passion coming from our early adopters and we're so passionate ourselves about making something that we're proud of um, that it's just really sort of escalated from there. So it wasn't like a deliberate decision, hey, let's design a cool bank. It was actually just a cool bank came out of what we were doing. Um, and I think that that sort of more nuanced but and also more organic yeah. Mm. And so, like, how does a bank work? Are you, do you have cash sitting anywhere? <laughs> yeah. Where are you hiding, Just it, Dom? Under, <laughs> yeah, under, under, the, under the couch, you know, under the mattress. <laughs> um, no, no. So oh, it's, it's all digital. So, so everything we do at Up is is fully digital, which means we're using software to solve problems that would traditionally be solved uh, physically with people or in a branch or, or whatever it might be. So, so no, we don't hold any cash. And and also, it's probably worth noting that. Uh, up itself is a collaboration between my company Ferocia and Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. So we were with Bendigo for many years, as I said, like building the fifth biggest banking platform in Australia. We do about sort of I don't know in the vicinity of ten billion a month, like billion uh, through that platform. So it's, it's a big platform, um, and that collaboration uh, sort of led to well, let's do something different and better. Let's launch Australia's first digital bank. They have a banking license, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. So so um, they have I don't know ten or more sort of banks within their group. Um, and we were able to leverage their banking license. So the money is digital and it sits on their ledger. You know, like they have a core banking system and they hold that ledger. Um, what my company has been able to do in this collaboration is build all the technology. So the onboarding, the actual banking itself, the payments mechanisms, the wallets, uh, interaction with your data, the merchant identification, uh, and the whole process right through to customer support, everything throughout the entire life cycle of UP is digital. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why us as a software company has been able to do that. So our ambition was to launch Australia's first digital bank. Um, and there was no option to get a banking license back then, realistically. Like, to, like just to put it into perspective for you, to get a banking license in Australia uh, before this new round of, of digital banks have launched, um, it was 28 years ago that a, um, a, you know, a company, an Australian company got a banking license. And before that, it was like 100 years. So, so it's not a common occurrence that people just apply for banking license. And it's very mm. expensive. You need you know, 100 million or more um, just to have in reserve and then another 100 million to sort of you know, get up off the ground and hire people and whatever else. So, so it wasn't realistic for us to say, hey, let's sort of launch a fully fledged bank. And the regulations hadn't changed yet to make it easier to get an, a restricted banking license. So, so when we started this journey, uh, the partnership with Bendigo actually gave us that ingredient that we needed, which was um, access to a banking license. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been an amazing partnership that's developed over the last eight or nine years. In terms of the communication between the banks, uh, I mean, how complex is that? So you send money from one account to another. So you send it from up, you know, held on the bank uh, Bendigo Bank Ledger through to ComBank, which is another, you know, bank. And so how, like, it's instant, right? And so how 
How is that community? What is going on at a technical level? Yeah, we really just want you, Dom, to explain the banks. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we, we don't get it. We don't <laughs> where, understand how. Where's the bash coming from? Yeah, where's it? What's, what's yeah. the deal? It's out of control, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that like um, money's being sent around digitally. Can I just say this though? Like you said, it was instant. Just go back uh, about eighteen months, and about eighteen months ago, it wasn't instant. Like, mm. like it's a new thing in Australia for it to be instant. And it's funny how uh, quickly it becomes commonplace. Like everybody in Australia now, we get we get about a thousand customer inquiries a day. And uh, every day, lots of people are saying to us, where's my money? Why isn't it there yet? But, but actually, most of the banking system in Australia is still operating on an overnight or a multi-day process. So if you send money from one bank to another, they call it direct entry, um, the, the messages get sent, but they get batched up. So the bank will actually collect all those messages throughout the day, and then overnight they'll they'll send them, and then the other bank will get them the next day, and then they'll batch them up, and then they'll process them the following night. So, so sometimes if you're lucky, and they, nowadays they have multiple times throughout the day when they do it. So, so if you're lucky, it could get there the next day, uh, but sometimes it would take two or three days. And if it was a weekend or a public holiday or a bank holiday, it could mm-hmm. take you know, three or four days. So, so that's actually been the system as it's been sort of almost let's say forever or at least our lifetimes you know before that they were swapping tapes and had punch discs and all that stuff <laughs> punch tapes and all that uh, but but you know so so that system actually is is more commonplace than the real-time system but the the new payments platform the npp was introduced into australia a couple of years ago our work that we did with bendigo bank bendigo bank's one of the founding members of the npp so we were able to actually send the first uh, message across the npp that actually sent money um, and we did that with Bendigo. And then when we built up, we built up to be native real time. So everything you do on up is real time. So you can send your money instantly. Now, what happens is we just send an electronic request through the new payments platform. It goes to, say, the Commonwealth Bank in that example. And then they receive it and then they process it and they do that in real time. So it should take less than a minute, usually a few seconds, for your money to literally uh, come out of your uh, up bank account and appear in your Commonwealth Bank account. So is the NPP, is that an Australian thing or is that worldwide? Yeah, so that's Australian. Every country, the banking's complex because every country has their own uh, technology and their own banking system and their own regulation. So legally, technically and practically, every every country is different. Um, and there's very few banks around the world that operate in multi-jurisdictions. And those that do, mm. you probably know, you know, like a Citibank or a HSBC or whatever, you know, you get to know the name of them because um, they're so prevalent globally. Um, in the modern sort of players, you know, Revolut have uh, um, been able to operate in, uh, I think it's 35 countries or, or whatever it is. Um, and, and they're not technically a bank. Um, they're, they're technically a payment service. So PayPal would be another one that you'd know or, mm. or Square or Stripe. Um, and so these, these payment companies have been able to operate in multiple jurisdictions uh, really by setting up the practical, the technical and the legal um, uh, capabilities in all of those different jurisdictions. If you want to send money internationally, you can send money internationally using another system called the SWIFT. So we talked about direct entry. I didn't know we we're going to go so deep on banking. Yeah, this is good. We talked, yeah, we, we talked about direct entry, which is sort of the traditional system. We talked about NPP, which is the new way to do it real time. There's another international system called SWIFT, which is sort of the most common. And mm. the SWIFT system is, is similar to direct entry where you send a message and the message goes from an Australian bank to what they call a correspondent bank, which is sort of the, a bank that has an international presence. And then they, the correspondent bank in Australia then sends it to a correspondent bank overseas. And then the correspondent bank overseas then sends it to the destination bank. So if I was sending money from, say, uh, up 
to uh, Monzo in the UK, um, then in the old fashioned way of doing it, would, up would send it to, I don't know, NAB or, or someone like that. And then they would send it to um, Bank of England or, 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 or Lloyd's or, or Santander or somebody in the UK. And then they would send it on to Monzo. Now that's the old fashioned way, but it's been like that for decades. Uh, what's happened recently is that we've seen the, the, the advent of this new way to send money internationally like TransferWise. And UP was actually the first bank in all of Asia Pacific to integrate with TransferWise. And we announced it last year. We're going live very soon. Um, and, and what that allows you to do is not move the money. So we send mm-hmm. a digital message, essentially. This is the easy way to sort of describe it. Is that we send a digital message to say, okay, there's a bank, which in, in the case of TransferWise, they, they might use Bank of New York or they might use NAB or whoever, or Bank of England or whoever, and they hold the money in both Australia and, and uh, the UK. And if I want to transfer money to Monzo, I send it via TransferWise, so I send that money from up to TransferWise, and then it's instantly available in my Monzo, like just like bang. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's a whole new way of uh, transferring money internationally, and we're very proud of the relationship that we set up, you know, like first in Asia Pacific, not even just first in Australia, with TransferWise, who are the dominant player globally for, for, for doing that sort of real-time uh, money transfer. And it's just amazing. The, the technology in the last two or three years has, has changed the way that we interact with money and changed the way that we connect and even think about money. So if we're jumping back 20 years, was when did online banking come into effect at a customer level? A little bit less than 20 years ago. Um, so yeah. probably yeah, six, 16 or 18 years ago. Uh, but uh, but maybe twenty by now. I'm getting old and I sort of forget. But um. <laughs> Mate, I, I feel the same because I was like, oh no, I think I had it at fifteen. Mum set me up, got me on Combank, yeah. the Dolomite or whatever. Yeah, no, well, no, it was well, well after that. I did the Dolomite. Did you do the Dolomite Dom? Yeah, absolutely. Most most Aussie kids did Dolomite when that primary school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how much of a uh, yeah, problem? But- you mentioned the uh, have uh, getting a bank. Becoming a bank is uh, hundred hundreds of millions of dollars of a process, and they don't give them out much. How much of a problem is it that that is the case, that there isn't, you know, 15 banks in Australia? Or is, is there? I don't know. No, there are. There are. There, there's, there's hundreds <laughs> there of banks is. in Australia. Yeah. But, but there's, there's, there's probably, I don't know, 150. But there's, there's, there's about 500. Maybe it's last time I looked at it, it was 455. I'm going to just round it to say 500. There's Who about the 500. hell are they? Because yeah. I only know the top four, it, top five. Yeah, well, that's right. So the credit unions and buildings, I'll, I'll tell you in, in, in a sense. So there's the top four banks. The four pillar banks in Australia account for about 85% of the market. So everybody knows uh, NAB, ANZ, Westpac and Combank, right? Like everybody knows them because mm. they dominate the market. So they, they have a, a huge market share. Then there's the mid-tier banks, uh, your Suncorps, your Macquarie's, your ING's, your Bendigo's. Uh, you know, there's a whole plethora of, of, um, of mid-tier banks that are very popular, uh, but no, nowhere near as much market depth as, as those big four. And then there are um, hundreds of credit unions, building societies, and smaller regional banks um, that, you know, you would know them, you know, if you mention them like Heritage Credit Union or uh, Credit Union Australia or Bank Australia, you know, there's, there's, there's heaps of them. And people, who, maybe the Police Credit Union and so on, people who use them know them really well and have grown up with them, but they might only have one location in your small town, or they might um, now have an online presence, but only have, you know, 50,000 customers or 10,000 customers or whatever. So, so the market is quite disparate. So there's probably between Bendigo, uh, Bank of Queensland, Suncorp and ING, they hold that and Macquarie, they hold that sort of mid-market percentage of, let's say, 10 or 15 percent. And then there's only single digit percentage for the entire Mm. rest of the market. Um, So, Mm. so yeah, so it's it's quite it's quite a long tail in terms of banking. And like I'll put it this way, up is already, uh, you know, we're growing so fast. We've only been alive for 18 months. 
probably by the end of next year, I've been saying, but it might be a little bit longer because we had some slowdown with the pandemic, but probably by the end of next year, but before we're our third birthday, uh, we'll be a top 10 bank in Australia. Mm. Up there so, with the Combank uh, and these other, yeah, like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And so, Dom, uh, having the experience of being able to build the tech and uh, working with banks to try and integrate the tech and then doing this deal with uh, Bendigo Bank, I can imagine that it's a... It's a hard conversation to speak to these sort of um, older businesses and say, hey, we want to partner. We don't want just to be a service provider for you, but we actually want skin in the game. What was that conversation like? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty insightful question. Um, not, not a lot of people, I guess, understand the nuance between launching a bank and uh, having a a part in it like like for us we were literally a service provider to banks um, and that means that they would call us a vendor you know like we're someone that builds software and licenses it to them what we wanted to do with up was we actually wanted to have ownership in in up itself and we wanted to be able to share in the um uh, in the margin that we generate all the revenue and the profits and so on and so we wanted to build an enduring business like when we think about building a new bank if you look at you know, your sort of bendigo banks or your Westpacs or whatever th- these banks have been around for 150 200 years you know so so our, our view was that we wanted to have a multi-decade strategy where we could build something that was enduring um, and even if the ownership of, of it changes over time and you become a public company or whatever it is, mm. we wanted the brand and, 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 the, and the business that, you know, up itself to be able to be around for 100 years. And, and, and so that's really building a legacy. Um, and, and our, our uh, share in, in, in building that success and our share in that sort of future and, and, and a reward, even if it's small, we just wanted it to be meaningful. You know, we wanted to change people's lives. We wanted to bring something to the market that's new competition, that's new design, that's new technology. You know, we were Australia's first cloud-hosted bank uh, in retail. Uh, we were, you know, because there'd been some business ones that have had a crack at it. Um, when you say uh, we in retail, also, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, so retail banking, so for consumers. Um, so, okay, so, for yeah. example, Tyro, t- t- Tyro is a bank that deliver FPOS solutions and business banking. Um, okay, and and yeah. they got on. They got onto the cloud, you know, very early days. Um, so, so we were the first uh, cloud-hosted bank for Google worldwide, wow. um, and and uh, and and you know, we were the first bank in Australia to have instant issuance with Apple, so that you could literally sign up a bank account and then have Apple uh, Apple Pay in your wallet instantly on your on your iPhone. Mm. Uh, and then we did exactly the same with Google. So we're the first bank in Australia to have instant issuance on on Google for your for your Google Pay. And then we did the same with Samsung. So 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 you know, there's a lot of firsts. So, so the first First TransferWise, first cloud, uh, we're the first to do uh, native NPP uh, with OSCO. So it's lots, lots of firsts, uh, but 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 the, 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 that's what we bring is that we're bringing that um, different way of thinking and that innovation. We call it like the way we sort of coined it is we call it technology-led banking, mm-hmm. um, and and that and that's compared to bank-led technology. So when I asked that question earlier, I mean you jumped in pretty quickly with the answer, you know, Combank, and I think Combank are reasonably good at technology. They're okay. Um, they're very good at marketing. They're very good at talking about it. But there are some banks around the world that um, uh, BBVA in Spain, uh, DBS in Singapore, you know, there's a, there's a few and far between, but they're pretty good at technology. Um, but actually, generally speaking, technology is an enabler and it's an innovator and it really changes the game. And so for us, it was like, how do we come in and deliver technology-led banking instead of bank-led technology? And it sounds quite subtle, the difference, mm-hmm. but it is ast- astronomical. So if I just mention a couple of companies that you might have heard of um, that have done the same thing, but in other industries, Airbnb, Uber, Amazon, Skype, you know, these are companies that have never come heard into of an industry. But so using the analogy, say um, Airbnb, if Airbnb was to go to 
uh, a real like a big real estate company that that does property management and says hey we we want to work with you on this that that's sort of i guess a, an example like going to a bank and saying we want to work with you to do this i can just imagine the amount of friction in legacy and trying to convince people now we've got to do it this way we've got to keep it siloed what does i'm curious as to what the actual friction points or what is the agreement to make sure that up can keep innovating and you don't fall into big bank sort of big ship slow moving behavior yeah, I think uh, humour has a, a, a strong part to play in it. So I used to joke. So, so Marnie, Marnie is the CEO or managing director of, of Bendigo and Adelaide Banking Group, and they're a big public company in Australia, fifth largest retail bank, uh, and you know, have you know tens of billions, hundreds of billions in assets and all that sort of stuff. So, so, so those conversations for us when we first started were just two blokes, you know, two blokes mm-hmm. with an idea. Um, by the time we got to saying, "Hey, let's do up," I think we're about twenty people, maybe, maybe, yeah, but maybe twenty-five. Um, and so we're a small team going to the, you know a really big Australian company and saying you know so so humor had a big part in it. So one of the things I used to joke with Marnie is I said, "Hey, if we get this right and we deliver this amazing innovation and this technology in banking, what one day up will be bigger than Bendigo." Now it's not <laughs> is that like, a joke? it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> yeah. that could be real. Um, uh, if we get it right, um, you know I'm joking when I say it. if we get it right, up could acquire Bendigo Bank. You know what I mean? Like you know, up could actually literally literally be the future. Um, and I think if you think about it, in, and that's why I say humor is important. But if you think about it in that sense, there's obviously no no, no uh, smoke without fire, right? Like I'm not saying that stuff purely in jest. Mm. I'm also saying it because if we get it right, if we can create the right kind of collaboration between a traditional organisation like Bendigo, and they're actually quite innovative. Mm. They've done some amazing things. You know, Bendigo introduced the, the debit card to Australia back in '86. Um, and they uh, introduced uh, community banks to Australia where they share the, the, the revenues with the community 50-50 and all this sort of stuff. So, so, so they've done some really innovative things uh, and a whole bunch of them. I won't go through them all. Internet banking, they're one of the first banks in Australia to have mm. internet. If not, the, if not the first, they were one of the first. Like, there's a little bit of an argument about who was exactly the first, but I think they were within a few days of each other uh, about 20 years ago to launch that. So, so they're already quite an innovative organisation, but they find it difficult to, um, to move fast. And, and, and we basically went to them and said, look, the way we work together at the moment is that we're a bank-led technology project so so you, you guys lead it and then we provide the technology and we did some amazing things and i'll give you an example but we went to them and we said can we flip it on its head and can we be technology-led banking where ferocia actually designs imagines builds delivers embeds uh, uh, supports so we take the entire customer life cycle and we use technology and ferocia runs it you know, could we do that? And to the credit of, at the time, Mike Hurst, who was the MD at the time, and Marnie Baker, who was the incoming MD, and she's the MD now. Um, it was me and my business partner, Tomo, and Marnie and, and, and Hursty, and we got in a room together and, and we had that discussion. And to their credit, they said, let's give it a crack. Now, we don't know mm. if it's going to work, but but we're going to back it. And I think the, the how bravery- How bold was that? So, yeah, I was going to say, how bold- no, It's incredible. Was- yeah. Incredible. Yeah, like absolutely incredible. Now, the, to your question though, like how do you how do you um, manage the risk of not falling into the trap or not being slowed down and all the rest of it? Um, I think that bravery and that humour has a lot to do with it. Um, but you know, the, the the willingness of Bendigo to trust us. So I always say that. Um, you can't have a bank without trust for, for the relationship with your customer, but you, you know because you're dealing with money. But you also can't have a collaboration for banking without trust. Now, let me say this: mm. we were the first collaboration of its kind where a fintech 
and a, and a traditional ADI, they call it, an Australian deposit-taking institution. So where a traditional ADI and a fintech actually partnered together and got regulatory consent to mm. run a digital bank. First time ever. What's, um, so, what's so that a, process, a Dom? What's that process? I mean, I could imagine there's a lot of, uh, you know, presentations in big bank buildings <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. you know, you're walking out with Tomo just thinking, mm-hmm. mate, we don't have this and then, oh, we've got this. What's that process? Like how long was it? Um, well, first of all, me and Tomo have very complementary skills. So Tomo uh, is all about the, the strategy, the business, the the, the, the the sort of culture and all that sort of stuff. And I'm very much about the sort of hands-on, the technology, the design. So so I think that, first of all, that's very complementary. So having a partner in crime is, is really important. Yeah, especially uh, named I, I Tomo. Call, <laughs> Tomo, really good, yeah. Uh, I, I sort of call it the, um, uh, the yin and the yang. You know, like we come from very different uh, backgrounds, very different experience, but we have the same what I call moral compass. Like, we, we, you know, we want to strive for the same outcome and we have different ways of going about doing it but we're actually trying to help people so so i think if you have that sort of alignment then then you can go in quite confident and so uh for me there's two ingredients to success um and i learned this when i was a little kid and it's always stayed with me all my life i was listening to i think it was triple j and i think it was dr carl who said um that there's two ingredients in successful people one of them is curiosity and the other one is confidence so you can have this curiosity like, hey, shit, could we build a digital bank? Do you reckon we could be the first in Australia? What do you reckon? And that's fine. That, that's the curiosity component. But the confidence, I mean, it takes a bit of gall to stand mm. up and go, we mm. can do this better than 200-year-old institutions that employ tens of thousands of people and that have billions of dollars. Like mm. that, that takes some gut. That takes some gut. So, so I think those two things together, the curiosity to innovate and to try new things and to, and to be different, and then the, the, the confidence to stand up and say, hey, let's, let's give it a crack. So to answer your question, bloody hard. Um, but Marnie and Hursty were amazing and they were very supportive of us doing something new and different. And we'd worked together for five years. So we built that trust. So that was where I was getting at was that you can have trust with your customers and everything, but having trust in the collaboration, having trust between Bendigo and Ferocia to be able to have a crack at it and for them mm. to step back and say, hey guys, uh, take the reins, take the running with it and you design it, you build it and then you run it. I mean, that, that, that's uh, it's, it's pretty much unheard of in the banking sector. We don't really yeah. know of any other examples around the world. Yeah. What does the yes from them mean for that for their for the landscape of the big banks and and you know they, that's them innovating in a way through you guys? Yeah, I think if you if you boil it down to its essence, and it's hard I can't speak on behalf of Bendigo, but what I can say is that um, they are cementing their position as number five. Um, yeah. The big four bank, the big four banks have eighty five percent. So if you just do your maths, it's about what twenty something percent each, right? Um, you know that's on a on a, on a just a, an equal basis. Um, now Bendigo's market share might be I don't know three, four, five, seven percent, something like that. You know, single digits. So so for them, and what I talked openly about with Marnie at the time, and obviously Hursty and Tomo as well, is that. But particularly me and Marnie, we sort of get into the detail of it. Is that um, you know if we can get Bendigo to ten percent market share, imagine that. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Like, they, 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 you know, Bendigo have been around for 160 years. They came out of the gold rush in Victoria. Imagine if, uh, you know, in 10 years from now, they could be up there competing with the big four banks. I mean, that is our sort of dream. What What is the brand integration like? Like, if you go into a Bendigo bank, will they offer an up product? No. Uh, we deliberately uh, set out and we had a lot of debates about whether we wanted to be uh, uh, Bendigo powered by Up, whether we wanted to be Up powered by Bendigo, whether we wanted any overlap and crossover between the brands. And I'd say it this way. I don't think it's sort of top secret confidential to say it, that there's probably two main reasons why we took the path that we did. One was none of us had any idea whether it would work. 
um, and we want to protect that 160-year-old brand. Like Bendigo have a really mm-hmm. great... They're, they're the, they're, they're, if they're not number one, they're, they're, they're one of the top trusted brands in Australia. In fact, they're in the top 20 brands in the world, uh, Bendigo Bank, in terms of trust. Um, I think they were mm-hmm. rated 13 or something like this, um, up there with Apple and Amazon and those sort of brands. So, so for me, um, we don't want to mess that up. I'll probably use some swear words, but you know we didn't want to stuff it up. Um, yeah. uh, whereas, whereas the other part of it was that we wanted to have the license to build something new from scratch. So one part was protecting the existing brand, and yeah. then the other was building something new from scratch. And to have the license to start with a clean slate and to literally invent an entirely new brand and not to have you know powered by Bendigo or whatever. If you look at our terms and conditions, you can find out that Bendigo's there. We're very open about it because we have to be for consumer regulations around the fact that we're backed by Bendigo in terms of where your money sits. You know, your money sits on their ledger. Um, and so for us to be able to operate under their banking license, mm. we have to let everyone know that Bendigo's there. But they're almost there like a big brother or a big sister, like looking out for us, but not getting in our way. Yeah. I mean, while we're on the trust conversation, you seem like a trustworthy dude. Uh, I mean, but when, <laughs> when, some, when, when, you, when it comes to developing a digital bank and um, trying to earn the trust of the consumer or the 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 person that's signing up for UpBank. I had no idea it was Bendigo Bank until mm-hmm. Mr. 97, our producer, wanted to change his bank details through PAYG, and I did it, and I put in the bank, and I was like, mate, I had to call him. I was like, dude, you're with Up. It's It says Bendigo Bank. And so, like, I mean, that's me then joining mm-hmm. dots and saying, okay, it makes a bit more sense. That's maybe a trust point earned to it. But what are the steps? The, what's the first step uh, as a business trying to say, when we put it out there, how we earning trust very quickly, you know, and then over time as well. Yeah, I'll just say this on the Bendigo thing is that we, at UP we have our own BSB. So in Australia, every bank has a, uh, a sort of a number that represents each branch and each bank. Uh, and so we actually, it was one of the decisions we made very early on is that we wanted UP to have its independence and have its own BSB. So that, um, uh, you know, it's obvious that it's still related to Bendigo, but it's its own thing. Um, so I just, mm. yeah. So, so why is that coming so, Why would that be well, coming so, No, up? I think so what I did was um, I may have searched whatever came up when I put in the BSB. You know how it just prompts you to yeah, yeah. tell you. And then I searched that and then it says Bendigo Bank. It, it was I, still fa- I found Bendigo, it somewhere, so, but I had yeah. to call Sev yeah, and yeah. ask him, is yeah. this correct? And he's like, yeah, yeah that's a good It'll, it'll still say Bendigo because um, a lot of, and this is actually me having a little bit of a dig at the other banks, is that a lot of the traditional <laughs> legacy banks- They're trying to push you down. They're trying to hide, like hide um, the fact that- Well, no, the, no this, this, the technologies are so bad that they haven't updated their systems. And so what they do is they, uh, they, 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 they look up the BSB in the national database and the bank that owns that BSB is Bendigo, right? Because it's their <laughs> license. But the name of the institution, the actual, the, 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 the branch, if you like, is up. You know, um, and so they're meant to display up, but a lot of the legacy banks don't. Um, and so bad when code. you look up, yeah, this is bad code. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of curious. But anyway, so so, so back to your question, um, how, how do you build that? I, I, it's really interesting for me because um, a lot of people talked maybe over the last decade about this thing called the new trust, you know, and the new trust, there's lots of books about it and all this sort of shit. But it's basically I can download an app from the app store and I can I can give my whole life over to a Facebook or an Instagram or an Etsy or a, uh, a Google or whoever it is that, you know, the apps that you love, Pinterest, whatever. Um, and you really embed yourself in those apps and you trust them almost like from day one. Um, and that trust equation is, is really coming through Apple mm. and Google because, you know, you're assuming that they've curated that app and that it's not going to have, have malware in it and, you know, whatever else. And so that's not trust on a fundamental level like I trust that brand. That's more I trust the technology. And so what we found is that I now call it the new new trust. So people have to trust the brand. 
They have to trust the technology. They have to trust the banking, the money, the, you know, the, the, the component of it that is going to be secure. And that's more like you think about like a vault, you know, like a banking vault, is my money safe? They have to trust the security. They have to trust the data protection. Like a lot of people worried about privacy and, and, and you know, uh, hackers getting in and breaching and all this sort of stuff. So there's so many different levels of trust that I now, nowadays, I sort of call it the new, new trust, you know, because it's like you're not, you're not gaining people's mm. trust in the old, old fashioned way that you used to open up a storefront and then you, know, you get to know Bob and Bob was a really friendly guy and then you get to know Mary and Mary's a really friendly person and they, they never let you down and they gave you a tab at the local grocers. Um, you know, that's how trust used to be built. It's totally different now. Now, mm-hmm. now that trust is built without that personal interaction and you're downloading an app from the app store. So, so we had to build a brand. We mm-hmm. had to build technology. We had to be rapid in our response to customers. We had to keep improving and iterating all the time and, and demonstrating that we, you know, that we could earn people's trust. We had to have a great customer support, a great customer service. Like our average response time to customers is sub two minutes. Now, to us, that was really important because what we were thinking about is forget about banking. People hate dealing with, I don't know, Telstra or they hate dealing with a utility company or whatever it is because the customer support is so horrible, right? And you go overseas or you have to wait on half an hour in a call center and all this. So we were thinking that part of the trust equation is to have the most amazing way for customers to actually reach out to a human and inter- interact with a human. And in the early days, it was me and Anson and Mike and, and, and sort of the, you know, it was actually the people that work within Up um, and, and sort of the founders of the business were answering customers' questions. And that was really good for that feedback loop, but it was also really good for building trust with those early adopters. And now, I'll just say this last piece, now a lot of the trust that we build with people comes through referral. And you made the jokes before about the referral codes, but about 50% of our growth is organic because everyone loves up. And so they recommend it to their family or their friends or their colleagues or whatever. Um, and so a lot of our growth has actually just been fueled by people telling their mates at a barbecue or at football training or whatever, or around the you know kitchen table eating dinner, oh my God, this up thing is totally amazing. I've never seen a bank like it. And then suddenly that endorsement is that they are lending their trust to us. And so people are trusting their friend or their partner or their, or their colleague rather than needing to trust us. If you go to the US, uh, it seems like it's a pretty archaic system in regards to like I, when they announced uh, Apple Pay, when you think about what Apple Pay is, it's just like tap and go or any of those sort of uh, services. Where in the US, I, I went to a, a subway and I tried to pay with PayPass and it blew their mind. Uh, I know a lot of people are still getting paid with checks. Oh, yeah, we saw checking. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Get your check, you know, cashed here. Exactly. And then even um, uh, Mike, uh, who uh, listens to the show in the US, he um, he was transferring some cash and he said, can I Venmo it to you? And so there, yeah. are, there are these... Uh, companies that are coming up now trying to solve a problem even the kickstarter campaigns where they're taking magnetic strips and trying to you know put five cards onto a single card uh what do you think of where the u.s is when it comes to the fintech and do you think that from an australian perspective are we innovating and can we bring any of that to the u.s yeah, I think Australia is miles ahead in some aspects, and 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 the US um, dominate in others. So it's not a it's not a linear equation. It's not like black and white. It's not like you can say one's good or one's bad. So in the UK, they have an amazing um, sort of infrastructure in terms of capital, you know, access to capital, and really uh, relaxed regulations to make it easier to run fintechs out of London. London's like the global fintech uh, sort of uh, you know number one city for fintech in the world. Um, and so if you want to do fintech, then London is a great place to do it because of the regulatory and the and the capital environment. 
the US itself is so archaic in the way they use checks and the way that they still have magnetic swipes and the way they charge money and each bank manually transfers money to each other. And it's a really archaic thing. But what's amazing is out of certain pockets in the US, you get these incredible companies like Square and Stripe. Uh, and PayPal and Braintree and I don't know, like lots of amazing mm. fintechs um, that sort of pop up out of Silicon Valley or pop out, out of New York or Seattle or whatever. Um, and, and so you have these pockets in the US of this amazing innovation, um, but they are generally more like across the board coming from a really sort of uh, low base. So the way I like to say it is that in Australia, the bar is so high, we have the highest adoption of, of things like the iPhone and Apple Pay and uh, Google Pay and so on. We have the highest adoption of, of point of sale, pay, tap and go payments. Uh, we have uh, you know free real-time transfers between any bank. Um, we have, uh, and we have had for decades, free transfers between banks. Like in the US, you get Vemino because it's too hard to transfer money between different banks. Uh, yeah. You've got thousands and thousands of banks and some of them uh, you know, will only accept checks. Um, so, so yeah, yeah I, but, I, I, but I, I, they just <laughs> sent a couple of people to the International Space Station. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, you know that. what I mean? Like it, it's out of control. So yeah, it's, 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 you've got to find those niches. And I think that if you look at a company yeah. like Square, for example, um, what they were able to do is they started out with a, with a magnetic you know, swiper and, 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 and it, the innovation was to embed that into the microphone jack mm. on, a, on a mobile mm. phone. I mean, it's an incredible <laughs> idea, right? Yeah. Um, but, but now what they do is they do business lending, they do real-time payments, they do payment splits, they do offer uh, you know, cash register. Um, they do so much stuff now and they're, such, like they're you know, $80 billion or $70 billion public company now, right? Um, so, so I think that it's not it's 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 lazy. I'm not like picking on you, mm-hmm. but it's lazy to say that America are crap at all this. They're mm-hmm. not. Generally, generally they are, and their system is systemically behind the rest of the world. Uh, but but there's pockets of innovation there that are w- well mm-hmm. in advance of us. But anyway, my point was that the bar in Australia is so high that to launch a digital bank here is a lot harder than it is to launch a digital bank in the UK or the US because those markets are absolutely ripe for disruption. Whereas Combank and Westpac and NAB and ANZ and ING and Macquarie and these guys are already world leaders in digital. They're already delivering these amazing digital apps, mm. and they have you know a tap and go at every you know every um, uh, every shop in Australia, and they have uh, you know uh, cardless ATMs and and all this amazing shit that you just don't have overseas. So so for us to launch a digital bank in Australia, I would say number one, it's a lot harder, and then there's a much harder bar to cross. But actually, it means that Australia is a great testing bed because then once we dominate here. Um, in any any part of the fintech sector, not just in banking, then you can actually use that as a foundation to take that technology overseas. Um, and America is like 15, 20 times the size of our market. So you've got this, it depends how you want to measure it. It could be 100 times the size in terms of capital market. Uh, but it's it, it's an amazing business opportunity to, to dominate in Australia and to innovate in Australia and then to take it overseas. That's mm. actually not our plan, by the way. Like our plan, as I said, is to be the, the number one bank in Australia for under 35s. Which would make us a top ten Australian bank. Like that's our that's our mission in life is not to expand rapidly overseas and sort of go after growth and do an IPO and all that sort of shit. We've never raised any capital externally, um, so we're a self funded business between obviously Bendigo and Ferocia, um, and we don't have any intention really to, to, mm. to do that. We have looked at it; it is a good way to, to grow. We we might do it one way, so I don't want one day, so I don't want to take it off the table. But we're a little bit different than the other digital banks around the world because we're not raised capital. We're not looking to do an IPO. We're not looking at rapid expansion internationally anything like that we just want to focus on helping australians like our mission in life is to help aussies to sort of de-stress and to sort of you know help them with anxiety around money and all that sort of stuff and if we can help people feel more empowered and more in control of their finances and, and understand their money flow better here in australia that that would be you know a job like totally well done that's what we're, that's what we're trying to achieve 
What what is the difference between ING and UP? Oh, there's so many differences. Um, I mean, to me, ING is what I would call a branchless bank. Um, so they're more of a traditional bank. We love it. Like everyone at Ferocia was an ING customer before we yeah. built up, right? So I don't, I don't want to take anything away from them. And I'd also mention Macquarie because in, you know, we're in Melbourne and, 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 and ING is dominant. ING has a good presence in Sydney, but Macquarie is also very dominant there. And and Macquarie um, is actually a project once upon a time that, that, that we were pitching for. One of my mates um, actually worked at Macquarie and was running their internet banking stuff. So, so you know, like what they've been able to do in the digital space, both Macquarie and ING, is pretty amazing. Like They're very, very good, and they really bring it to the big four and, and compete with them. But the main difference is that um, we're digital to the core. So there's hundreds or thousands of people working in those organisations and a lot of their systems and processes are legacy and whatever. Um, whereas we are fully digital, everything we do is, is built from the scratch, you know, built from the ground up. Um, and, and so I think that there is a, a, a practical difference in, in the lower cost base um, and in the technical delivery and the cadence, the way that, so I'll give you an example. We uh, had a goal with Bendigo when we worked with them for, 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 like I said, for about five years before we started up. And, and our goal was to get them um, to be able to do uh, monthly deployments of software to customers. Um, and if you can take software and get it to customers at least once a month, then you start um, building this infinite feedback loop that just keeps improving and getting better all the time. So that was our goal. It took us about five years and we actually got them to over one deployment of, to production for customers a week. Like last year, or just a couple of years ago now, um, we um, uh, we were able to deploy 64 times uh, in the year, which means that Bendigo Bank were getting software out to their customers in a much more regular cadence. Now for them, they'd done, I think the number was shy of 20 deployments to customers ever in like yeah. their 15 year history. You know what I mean? So, What does so, a depo- um, so deployment look like? An update to a website or a new app download or... Yeah, so maybe a, a new app download and a new feature. Um, uh, I mean, it can it, it can it can scale in complexity. It could be often one of the things that really frustrates me is when you get a new app upload um, or download, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, and and, it, and it, all it has in it is performance improvements and bug fixes. Like I freaking hate that. Like, I really really hate that. Like yeah. Like, um, but 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 you know, but you see, you see that sometimes, and it really frustrates. So that is technically a deployment. Anyway, so for up, what we did is we said we wanted to deploy software to customers every day. In fact, we set ourselves a goal that we wanted to hit five production deployments a day. Right, that was our goal. Anyway, we average more than more than five at the moment, um, and we have done having to since we update so, the app every time. It's oh. it's auto magic. You don't even you don't oh, even know nice it happens. It's, <laughs> yeah, it just happens in the it just happens in the background. Um, and then what we do is we we basically rely on the App Store and the Google Play Store for the regular releases. So we'll do a release to the App Store and the Google Play probably the most frequently any company can do that is, is is weekly cadence, like maybe weekly or fortnightly, just because of the lead time and approval time with the App Store and the Google Play or whatever. It is possible to, 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 to do it a bit quicker um, and you can you can line up a whole bunch of them in advance. Um, so we, we run a program where we test all of our own, we eat our own dog food, so we test all of our own software internally and so we have versions that we use as staff members and then we roll it out to, to Google Play and, and, and the App Store with Apple and we, and we do that on a regular basis. So you pretty much get a new um, app or an updated app every month or every few weeks or whatever, but we deploy software out to our cloud uh, infrastructure um, uh, more than five times a day so that you're always surprising and delighting mm. your customers and, and, and we're always getting better and better. Now, if you compare that to a traditional bank, you know, your ING or your ComBank or whoever, um, they're getting better at this stuff, this technology stuff nowadays, um, but just go back a few years and they were doing you know, at best one deployment a year. Um, and so if we're doing five a day, there's a huge discrepancy. So now you'll see uh, organisations maybe doing a release a quarter 
or at least a month or something like that. And that's amazing and, and, and good luck mm. to them. But for us, uh, you know, we're at more than five a day, which is just a huge discrepancy. It just means that we can move faster. So when we announced the, um, uh, say, the TransferWise partnership, I call it the 15-minute meeting that we had with them. Like we met them in San Francisco. Uh, we're at an Apple conference. And then they, you know, we flew back to um, Australia and we went up to Sydney. And we met up in Sydney and we were chatting with one of their devs and we had one of our devs there. And we shook hands. And within 15 minutes, we had uh, exchanged the API keys so that we could actually integrate our two systems. Was um, it and that's one the, of the, your hands? Like, did you, yeah. was it sort of some sort of secret handshake with the API key? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But that's the, sort of, that's, the, that's the sort of speed that you have to move at if you want mm. to innovate in a technology industry. And in banking, that, that process would take 15 months or 15 mm. weeks or 15, whatever. Mm. Um, it, you know, so to do it in 15 minutes um, is, is the new normal. It's what we actually have to do as a technology company. So when I mentioned those companies before, I just dropped them casually, you know, Uber and Airbnb or Tesla is another good example. These are companies that have sort of come out of a garage or, you know, a few co-founders and they've built their foundation on technology and they've completely disrupted an industry. So we hope, and we see it now, a lot of the big banks are copying us, a lot of the new neo banks are copying us and we don't care, that's fine. We just want to change the whole industry. And so for us to be moving at that cadence and delivering technology in that way and using technology as the enabler, that sort of technology-led banking, uh, we think that's going to make a real difference for all Australians, like Australian consumers, over the next you know decade. Bank fees, how many yep. how many bank fee uh, fees are bullshit? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was thinking no, about not- this. Sorry, go on, Dom. I just gonna say it's not bullshit. Like, like there's only two ways to make money. Like practically speaking, uh, you know. Uh, it, you can make money for charging fees by literally mm-hmm. charging the, the consumer, like you know, charging people for, for whatever your service is. Um, and the other thing you can do is make money in banking out of the margin. So if you have deposit products and then you have credit products, if someone gets a home loan and they pay, you know, I'm going to just use round numbers, they pay, these are ludicrous numbers, but if they pay 5% for a home loan and you had a savings account that had 2%, then the difference there is 3%, right? So you're making mm-hmm. a margin. So if you, if you can take deposits and then you can deploy them through loans or some other credit products and you can make a margin, then that's how banks traditionally make money. So I just want to mm-hmm. say fees, are, fees aren't bullshit. Fees are a, mm-hmm. a genuine way to make money. Um, but of those two different ways of uh, charging customers directly through fees and then making a money out of the money, out of the margin, we tend to favour making money out of the margin. We're very transparent about that and we like to explain to customers how we do that. But we just try to avoid charging fees where possible. We do have some fees, but we have no traditional fees. There's no onboarding fees. It's completely free mm. to use up, to try up. We don't have monthly fees and all that sort of stuff. We have really looked at um, how we can eliminate all fees. So we got rid of international fees. We got rid of foreign exchange fees. We got rid of ATM fees. You know, We try to get rid of all the fees where possible. If you look at the fine print, there's still a few fees. Like if you overdraw your account, for example, that we don't offer any credit products. So if you overdraw your account, there's a penalty there to discourage people from overdrawing their account. But but yeah, in the future, I'd love it if we had no fees at all. Mm. Um, but that just means that we have to build a solid business on the margin side. Because if we're not making any money out of margin mm. and we're not making any money out of fees, we go out of business. And then our multi-decade strategy just can't work. So yeah, it's not bullshit. It's just yeah. it's just that it's it, 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 you've got to make money to survive. Um, mm-hmm. But we prefer not to have fees where possible, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many free products are there now? I think I'm more primed to think, okay, if this is free, it's a freemium, you know, first month or what, you know, whatever it be, signing up. How are how is the business actually surviving at that mm. point? But not only that, I guess you look at the Uber examples, and it's like you can uh, get a monopoly over an uh, an industry by having low rates and all that sort of thing. Mm. But then, I guess as a customer 
we're becoming more and more wary of is that a long-term sustainable strategy like actually finding out is the business able to monetize with this because if they can't how is how is it going to be around in the future and um, for you dom at the start what was the decision on doing the no fee structure it's obviously very appealing to customer um but from a business perspective what's the what's the thinking there so I think there's a whole bunch of different components to fee. Like not having a monthly fee and not having sign-on fees or, or ongoing fees is a is is obviously great for customers. But I'm going to be blunt and say that I think that um, the digital banks that launch into the market on a, with a, a price only as their differentiator are going to go bankrupt. Like they're not going to exist in, in what's in, in a price a short only. Term. So, so if you come and say, I have no fees at all and I have the best rates in the market, so if you put your deposits with us, we'll pay you the highest interest rate, mm-hmm. those, uh, unless they can do some magic, those, uh, those companies will go out of business. Um, so, so what we did is we said we recognise that risk. Um, so what we said is that we never want to be recognised as the cheapest. Uh, first of all, it's not our brand. Our brand is the best. We deliver the highest quality. We, we, we deliver fun. We deliver engaging. We deliver an experience like no other. So for us... We're sort of, I guess you could say, we're more the Apple than we are the Android in that in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, it's more a, a quality premium product that you pay for. Are you for. an Apple fanboy, the- by the way? I can just <laughs> say you've got like, what, 10 different boxes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a little which, bit. A little bit. your first but- Apple product? Uh, I was actually late to it, so I'll okay, just I'll, sure. I'll just give you the, okay. the I'll, I'll come back to Apple, but I'll just yeah, give you yeah, the finish right. on the on the fees, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so no, no, but uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, I'm more of a Tesla fanboy than I am okay. Apple, <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll come to that too. Um, but uh, I was just going to say that, um, and so for us, it was like uh, our our strategy was let's be competitive in pricing, so that we are always amongst the best in terms of the fee structures. So we have some fees, but almost no fees. And then let's have a really strong um, competitive interest rate, but we're not ever gonna have the best rate. Now we have actually almost by fluke had the best rate in the market for deposits. So you put your deposits with up, at the moment you get 1.8%. When we first launched, it was 2.75. And and that just moves with the market. So at the moment we're in a pandemic, the, the Reserve Bank have, have reduced the, um, the cash interest rates, the official interest rates to 0.25. So that means if you're getting 1.85 with us, that's costing us 1.65 to give you yeah. 1.85, right? So, so, so we were always conscious that you have to have a viable business. And so the viable business for us is to have a competitive price on both the fee front and the margin front, but um, actually try to create a business that people are prepared to pay for. So we have the most amazing features and we're the first to do all these cool things. It, you know, you could, before up, you couldn't sign up a bank account in Australia in less than three minutes. Mm. And now there's, I don't know, a dozen banks that you can sign up a bank account in less than three minutes. Yeah. And, and so we think that that's something that people might not pay for that exact, you know, specific example, but people will pay for us to be the innovator and to keep driving forward that, 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 um, those benefits for consumers. And then if we can add value, so for example, I get letters from customers, usually emails or, or text messages through Talk To Us. We have this you know, Talk To Us built into the app where people send us messages. And I get messages from people every single day and, and, and our support team send them through to me in, 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 in Slack. Um, so that, you know, because they send them to me and they don't go to me, they go to someone in the support team and then they forward them to me. And, and they're basically saying, you've changed my life. Like I've reconnected with my money. I'm saving more money than I've ever saved before. I now know where my money's going. I love how you guys identify the merchant. I, you know, I love having as many savers as I like. I love the emojis. I love the real-time payment, you know, whatever it is, all these things. And I get that feedback all the time. And then the question that I have for people like that is obviously I'm very complimentary and I get, send them a hug and I'm really grateful. But, but I, I also ask them, would you be prepared to pay for that? 
Because if the banking system right now is is so bad, nearly every bank in Australia charges six dollars a month annual fee, a monthly fee. Sorry. So so that means that you're paying about a hundred bucks a year to your bank for for, mm. for what? Like for, for for bad service and and bad customer service and a crappy app. Like so, it doesn't make sense. So the question I always put back to people is, would you be prepared to pay for that? Because we can't do it for free forever. Mm. We've can got to find ways to make though? money. Like because I guess that's like with us with podcasting, it's like uh, you can have really loyal listeners or customers whatever you want to call them but if they're not primed to spend money on it do you think that there's is there sort of a roadmap in regards to how you get there or you i guess do you need to provide extra value when when you turn that tap on I don't think so. I think we want to keep providing value for free. But what I think mm-hmm. is that we monetize through the products that we offer. So I'll give you some examples. Um, so like a home loan, we've never launched a home loan and we don't intend to do it right in the short term, but we intend to do it eventually. But I can tell you that we have tens of thousands of, so we have hundreds of thousands of customers now, and we have tens of thousands of customers who are saving up for a home loan, like saving up for their first home. And mm-hmm. so we know that because they create a saver and they put a home emoji on it. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we see them saving up 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. And so, uh, and so, so we have a lot of people saving up for an iPad or saving up for a home loan or saving up for a skateboard or saving up for a bike or saving up for a deposit on a car or whatever. And 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 and, and what we'll do is in the, as 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 we evolve and as we mature, we'll offer products. So it could be share trading, it could be home loans, it could be insurance, it could be all these different products that we'll offer and we'll make money out of those products and we'll also make money out of the margin that those products create. So if you're offering a share trading product, then you need deposits obviously to invest. If you're if you're offering a home loan, then you need money to lend. And so, and so we can generate margin and revenue out of all those different products. Uh, we don't have to generate it out of spending and saving, which is what we do now. Not all of our products at the moment are spending and saving. I just, uh, I remember about that Apple question. So I, yeah, like, yeah, I, I'll just go back um, to, to that for one second. So it's really interesting for me is that I'm a, you know, an IT guy, uh, for, you know, from way back. Um, but I was very late to the game. So, so my, uh, my recollection of, and my um, relationship with Apple what, uh, has has changed rapidly in the in the last few years. So so when I was a kid, I was at pr- the local primary school, and we had one computer that was on a trolley, and it was an Apple mm-hmm. IIe, and they used to you know wheel the trolley around, and you could book time with it for your classroom, and that was my uh, exposure when I was a, a you know a, a young kid, um, like I guess a tween. Um, that was my exposure to uh, to Apple, and I never thought much about it. And then I went through high school and I didn't own a computer, but then my dad bought a, an Apple IIe um, mm. a, a, at home and it was really crap. Like it didn't do anything. I couldn't really <laughs> I just play games on it. Like I, I didn't have anything like word processors or I didn't like program in basic or anything like that. So I had this sort of computer at home, but it was like my dad's computer. And so I wasn't really allowed to touch it. Meanwhile, all of my mates were gamers or they were hardcore into BBS bulletin boards uh, and they were right into the whole modems and, and, and the internet and all this stuff. And so it wasn't until I was about 16 and I, uh, me and my brother worked at the local Maccas and we had a paper round and all this sort of stuff. Um, and we saved up our money and we bought our own computer. And we, I think we bought it out of the trading post. Um, and, 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 then, and that was a, an, an IBM. It was an IBM clone. It wasn't an IBM. It was something else. But it was, you know, back then we called them an IBM. Uh, it was an IBM 286. Um, and, and, and it had computer games, sure. But it also had Encyclopedia Britannica. And we also got a modem so we could have dial-up internet. Um, and, and, you know, for, for, for me, I started realizing that a computer could be a tool. But meanwhile, mm. you know, some of my mates already had jobs as software programmers. So I was, you know, developers. So I was very late to sort of the computer game. And, and I didn't get into uh, Macs until about 15 years ago uh, in my last company uh, where everyone else had uh, Macs and I had this uh, crappy old IBM ThinkPad. And I was like, this is weird. Like, why, why do all the cool kids have these uh, Macs and what am I doing wrong? Uh, and I used to use a software called Corel Draw. 
Uh, it was like yeah. graphic design. And everyone else was using Illustrator. And I'm like, why do all these designers use Illustrator and have Macs? And I'm here with my IBM ThinkPad using Corel Draw. Well, like, what at the least you had the, that red button that was like in the middle of the keyboard oh. the tra- to track around the mouse. <laughs> yeah. What was that called? Do you remember that? I have no idea. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. No, what, what the hell was that thing? You it was know? like the end I of also, rubber. I, yeah. It was like a rubber. <laughs> it? <laughs> it, was, it was like a joystick. Yeah. Uh, there were lots of... <laughs> Yeah, there were lots of rude names for it that people had. Um, it was it was a, it was a very bizarre tool, but it also had a fingerprint scanner, which was very early days. Like obviously, mm-hmm. your MacBook has a fingerprint scanner now, but but back in those days, anyway. So then, mobile phones. Like I had a Nokia, and it was uh, one of those uh, old sort of Nokias, uh, you know, with with a couple of games on it, and it was a little you know grayscale screen and all this. And then the iPhone was launched, and I think the iPhone being launched, and it was a couple of years later before it got to Australia. The iPhone being launched changed my relationship with Apple because I got a very early iPhone. I think 3G was the first one I had. Uh, I think it was the first one launched in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I've had an iPhone ever since, and now I have everything Apple. I mean, I've got um, you know Apple Watch, I've got HomePod, I've got at the moment I've got four laptops. I don't know why I have four laptops. Actually, five <laughs> if you count the one the one one behind me. Um, I, I just have all this like crazy Apple stuff everywhere, um, and. And, and I don't know how many iPads I have, but I just like I lost a couple of iPads um, on, on airplanes. Like you take your iPad on the airplane, and I just left it. I forgot it in the, do you, in the back. Do you not of the seat. even follow up to see if they've got it? It's just like done. Well, no. <laughs> no, well then, uh, the Qantas got in touch and they and they I had my name in it, or someone found out it was mine, or I did find my iPhone or whatever it was. Anyway, so now I have I don't know three three iPads or something. Um, but but I love I loved I love to keep up with like the latest things. Um, and so uh, for me. That relationship was my last sort of business before Ferocia, and I was also partnered with Tomo. My other business partner actually was Marty Howell, and he was the founder of realestate.com.au. And so Marty was really into tech. Like he, you would you would come into the office in the morning, and you would find Marty, and he'd fallen asleep under his desk, um, like writing code. And this is a guy yeah. that sold sold a, you know his his real estate company. He was, the, he was a CEO there for, I don't know, 13 years or whatever. And then he sold that company and, you know, for hundreds of millions. Um, and he was still writing code and he had all the latest gadgets and everything. So so Marty had a big influence on me in terms of um, just, you know, having the latest gadgets and everything. And then a few years later, uh, I heard about this company, Tesla. And I heard about these electric cars and everything. I was like, oh, my God, this, this Elon Musk guy is like crazy. Um, and, and and so I had to, I started getting into Tesla. So so I would say in the last five years, I, I've got very, very heavily into Apple and, 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 mm. and, and, and Tesla and other technologies like that to the point where I now back um, over 50 Kickstarters and, uh, I don't know, over 20 different companies, like startups and stuff around the world, um, all like doing technology stuff. And it doesn't have to be anything to do with fintech a lot of them are fintech but um also a lot of them are doing crazy different things like i've got this company um in uh spain who hand carve things out of uh desecrated wood sounds really crazy right but they sell it they they sell those luxury men's goods in harrods and other places like that um and and they make colognes in italy um and and they made the, the the world's first cologne for men that you can mix and match um, different different uh, flavors or whatever it is, and 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 you know, I met these guys through Kickstarter or something. You know, you know like what, it's just amazing. Is, why why would you invest in a company, Dom? What's what what's the draw card? Uh, for me, it's about people and 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 helping those people. Like if I see something that I think is an inter- reasonably interesting idea, um, but it's the passion that they have. So these guys, for example, that I met. Uh, and it might have been not Kickstarter. It might have been another platform like AngelList or Cedars or something. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but 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 these guys, um, you can just 
the passion was oozing out of the screen. Like you could feel the passion that they had. And they told me that they had come across this farmer in the UK and he was excavating his land. And when he was excavating, they found a historical site. And in the historical site was old trees. And one of the trees was a 5,000 year old tree. Um, And they, and they, and they bought that wood from that farmer and then they started carving the, um, uh, these, these luxury goods out of it and everything. And the way that they would talk about it, they basically engrave the latitude and longitude on the bottom of the things That's that they cool. carve out. And then they sell it for like 500 pounds or something, you know, crazy markup. Um, and so when they explained all that to me, I thought these guys are crazy, right? But, but when they explained <laughs> it to me, the, 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 the passion that they had for excellence, it was like, mm. it wasn't technology. It, 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 it was more to do with their hands and craft. And now they do leather goods and other things. But they, they explained to me that they just wanted to build the best shaving bowl in the entire world. Um, and, and that was something that interested me. So the people and the passion is, is more interesting than the idea, I guess. Mm. Well, ideas are dime a dozen. It's is it about seeing like even from your experience on, you know, pre up to now in the middle of something that's caught momentum. And uh, w- in terms of an idea, what is what are the most important elements of the idea? Because it is still important to some degree. Yeah, it has to be commercial, right? Like a lot of people have ideas that are good fun. Um, but they can never make money. Um, so we just spent a bit of time talking about how do you make money from a bank, right? You can't launch a bank and raise a couple hundred million dollars and then go about it and then run out of money and just disappear. Well, that would that would be silly. Um, it's the same in it, any business. Is it's got to have the commercial aspects as well as be fun, as well as be a good idea, right? It's got to be unique or innovative or different. And even if it's not, like some of the mundane things, like Amazon is obviously one of the biggest companies in the world now. Um, and you know, really, it was a bookstore, right? Like, I mean, so so there were lots of bookstores. So so, what makes them any different? I mean, they were able to nail the uh, supply chain, and then they were later on able to nail the technology. And I think that um, if you can find a niche within any business, even if it's not completely unique, and you can deliver excellence, um, then you just have to have a way to monetize it. So so, I think that that, that is an important ingredient. So the, all the enthusiasm and entrepreneurship and confidence and curiosity and all those things we've talked about uh, are really awesome, uh, and that's what I back. I back people um, but also the idea has to be a reasonably good one and then also it has to be able to be commercialized you have to be able to make money out of it because you've got to make money to survive um, so yeah I think for me it's been looking at um, uh, the people that are involved the idea the commercialization and then making a determination is can I have an impact can I make any difference and it doesn't always have to be a business can I just say this I'll just pivot a little bit and say that um, you know we got hit with this pandemic everybody's working from home uh, everybody at, at, at Ferocia is working on up uh, remotely um, and, and we're in a, pr- a privileged position to be able to do that because um, we're all technology engineers and, and you know we all work on computers every day so actually working from home as long as you have a good internet connection it's not that difficult right um, so for us to do that transition was fine but what we found is that a lot of our customers were struggling and a lot of them were losing their jobs a lot of them couldn't work from home uh, a lot of them were working in essential services and so on so we actually launched a thing we call upskill which is a way for us to actually share our knowledge and experience and bring other experts from other industries in and so we ran a mental health one and then we ran a financial literacy one and that was not to make money there was no commercial aspect at all 
it was all about helping other people and bringing what we so we have a platform and that platform is up and then we you know, with hundreds of thousands of people that are, that are involved in it and we said let's open it up to anybody you don't have to be an up customer anybody could participate um, but let's get experts from other industries and bring them in and then help people learn something so financial literacy is relevant to what we do but mental health was just relevant to everybody who was struggling uh, working from mm. home and so we, we, we had thousands of people engage in those live sessions and have had subsequently they're on YouTube and everything so now we had it and to me that's the essence when you ask that question is what makes me interested in a good idea or a good investment is 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 how impactful it is for other people um, and so that one is an example of a non-commercial idea um, but it's very um, impactful in the way that it can actually help people and I think that they're the sort of ideas that we don't just back internally here at up but we're, but generally me as a person I like to back those sort of ideas because I think that um, making a contribution to society or making a contribution to other people and sharing knowledge or, or, or helping other people improve other people's lives is something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I need to go and sign up for up now I feel like you know, <laughs> no, I, I love a bit of hype uh, I know that it's there's more than hype but you've definitely sold it on the monetization thing uh, we actually uh, worked out a way of making money through uh, a megaphone and I have forgotten in the first five minutes oh, no. we, we did a deal with Ben Fordham uh, where he has sponsored the entire week um, to uh, advertise his new breakfast radio show and so I just need to. Sorry, Tom. This is probably it's probably a Other little side. bit unprofessional. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to have to. Do the, I'm just going to have to do the ad now with you here. Go. Just, yeah. just stand by. Ever listen to 2GB, Dom? No, not personally. Uh, okay, okay. That doesn't matter, Dom, because it's about the megaphone now. Uh, the Daily Talk Show would like to thank uh, Ben Fordham for sponsoring the megaphone. He has his new breakfast show uh, starting 5.30 a.m. Monday to Friday, 2GB. You can listen in Sydney on the dial or stream on your favourite radio streaming app. Thank you. There we go. That's, that's, how you, that's, how you make, awesome. that's how you monetize the podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dom. Maybe you could get a phone. <laughs> Mate, yeah. I, I don't want to offer up the deal, but it is at yeah. two fifty five <laughs> now. Yeah, if you want to um, <laughs> purchase if up, it, if if up, uh, yeah, wants to uh, sponsor the megaphone, five hundred bucks, you get a corporate video. Too. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, could yeah, do a yeah. nice employer brand if it, you're looking it, at hiring and thing like that. It's, a, it's a scaling sponsorship, mm. so it goes up in five dollar increments. Mm-hmm. I thought you it's might a, be yeah, it's impressed by that. Bucks, but anyway, yeah. Um, that's very awesome. good. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> thanks, Dom. We, I would love to get you back on too because I yeah. feel like I've got a bunch of other questions. Oh, I've it's, got really dumb ones that I want to run past you. Can we have a? Should we do a? Two, have you got two quick minutes fire. to do a quick uh, fire? Yeah, dumb yeah, questions? yeah. So when I uh, when I take a photo or, or when I enter in my driver's license details, how's it actually verifying through the UP app? Yeah, I mean, it's part of the secret source is how we do it. So I, I mentioned earlier that. Um, that UP was the first bank in Australia where you could literally sign up an account instantly and then be able to spend your money. And there's two remaining or three main ingredients to, to make that possible. What One is the verification of, of, of ID. We were able to leverage a lot of the relationships that Bendigo already had, but we had to rebuild from the sort of the ground up a digital authentication experience so that you could sign up a bank account and meet all the regulatory requirements for know your customer and um, uh, anti-money laundering and all that sort of stuff. So, so that was one part of it. Another part of it was this uh, first that we did with Apple which, and then later on Google, which actually meant that we could provision a digital wallet 
while your account is still inactive. So when a bank creates an account for you, normally they send you a card and that card goes through the mail. And when it's going through the mail, it's inactive in case someone steals your mail and, and you know, pinches your card, right? So, so we had to build some technology that would allow us, and we work with MasterCard and another company called Cuscale and Apple and all this other stuff, to be able to actually provision that card for you. And then the third piece for us was to be able to get the money in. So you need to actually get money in using the NPP in real time because you already had your money somewhere else. So, so to be able to sign up an account and verify your ID in, in, in literally you know, 30 seconds or whatever, and then be able to um, provision a digital wallet so that you'd be able to spend your money and then be able to transfer that money in using the NPP, that were the three sort of secret ingredients that we had to bring together into one awesome sign-up experience. And the average time to sign up for an up bank account is two minutes and 12 seconds. So you can download the app from the App Store. You can sign up an account. We take care of all that detail for you. And being the first bank in Australia to do those three different things meant that mm. we were able to actually give, give you that experience. So in terms of what we do with it, when the data comes in, it goes off to credit service providers. And there's a couple of really famous Australian ones. Um, so VIX uh, is a green ID, VIX Verify and, and, and um, Equifax are the, are the sort of two biggest players. And there's lots of other ones as well. In fact, there's some great uh, fintech startup called Frankie, um, and they offer those services in an aggregated sense to a whole bunch of uh, other banks now. Uh, we, we don't use them, but I, I know the founder there, and they're doing a really great job at, at, at delivering that technology. So, so that technology, sort of, that sorry, that data comes into the technology, into the platform, um, and then it gets sent off to third parties for, for verification and validation, and it's basically checked against government databases. And I can't really say more about the details because it goes to the security of it. Um, but, but you know, it's checked against government information. So if you have a Medicare card, a driver's license or a passport, it's basically um, cross-checked by these government databases across all of your other life interactions with the government and private companies. And then that's fed back to us. And we basically get some flags that say you're a bad citizen or you're a good citizen. Um, uh, it tells us whether or not your account has been compromised, you know, whether your data, maybe your driver's license was stolen when your wallet was stolen, or maybe your uh, personal details like your date of birth and your address have been stolen when some other company has had a data breach. And so all of that information then becomes relevant in, in, as to whether or not we're able to offer you a bank mm. account. Uh, Tom, very quickly, is there a limit to the amount of cash you can put in a bank account? Like, do you guys have like a limit where it's like, if I had a billion dollars, could I actually put a billion bucks into my account right now? That's a that's a very good question. I don't think there's a a, a, a limit that that we publish like it would you know, probably mm -hmm. be in the billions because it would be so many digits. Um, but there probably is a practical limit. I could I could get back to you on that one. Um, yeah. We don't we don't have a we don't have a minimum. Um, uh, you know, we, we, you have to put a dollar in to be able to activate your account. You know, to be mm -hmm. able to make to use of it. But if you leave your account empty, then it'll sit it'll sit empty. Um, in terms of the total amount, uh, we only uh, pay the bonus interest up to a certain cap. You know, mm -hmm. so we cap the amount that you can earn interest on. Uh, but I don't think there's a cap to the actual amount that you can put in there. So yeah, if you had a billion dollars and you wanted to put yeah, it yeah. in, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Isn't it? some big transfers to Savo. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fraud, all the fraud stuff's really interesting. Like we we tried yeah. to get some Apple products, and Tommy and I got them at the same time, and. Um, Latitude thought that we were um, conning them. They thought that we were the oh, same person, and it was so we hilarious. had to, we had like we had to try and explain that we're two individuals, just both trying to get IMAX. But you know, <laughs> it's funny the whole fraud type of thing. You know, it it's is, not funny if you get frauded. Quite, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's quite curious because there's also things like third-party fraud. So I'll give you an example: is you buy a T-shirt, right, mm -hmm. um, or you buy a pair of shoes, um, and you do that online. And then you put all your data in, your payment data, your address and whatever else you put in. And then later on, that gets hacked or gets compromised and you don't even know 
Yeah, that's called yeah. third-party fraud. Like yeah. you don't even know that your data's been compromised. There's someone out there on the dark web or whatever, you know, using your data and, and impersonating you. And so then, when you go and try and do something with a financial institution, or you go and try and do something with a government, you get a you get a sort of a, a red flag, and they say, "Oh, hang on, this this person's sort of dodgy." And you're not dodgy at all. Mm. It's just that some other company no, that I'm you've dealt with. Had... <laughs> 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 but yeah, yeah, so, some other companies had a breach, and then that mm. breach actually impacts your ability to do things. So I think that the inter, the, you know, in the digital world, the interlinking of, of, of you and your uh, sort of profile across social media, across uh, payment services like Stripe and, and, and Uber and all that sort of stuff, and then, uh, and, and then uh, you know, financial services and government, the, the interconnection of all of that data is actually providing whole new ways to catch the criminals, um, but it's also having an impact on our customer experience because you know someone like you just mentioned can reach out to you and say, "Oh, hang on mm-hmm. a second, and block your transaction." And, and we, mm-hmm. we do it too. We block people's mm-hmm. transactions sometimes when it seems like something dodgy is going on, um, and sometimes there's nothing dodgy at all, uh, and it's just a, you know it's just created some red flags based on some algorithms or something like that. Mm-hmm. One last quick fire. Um, oh, yeah? Caitlin wants to know when can we buy a per cup mug or a keep cup. Keep up, cup. Uh, Caitlin, I know Caitlin well. She, she can reach out to me, and I'll be happy to send her one. Uh, you, you don't have to pay for it. Um, yeah, look, the, 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 I've got one in the background. You might be able to see it over there somewhere. <laughs> I like the it is. There it is. Yeah, 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 got yeah a, a lightsaber as well. Yeah, yeah, right. um, yeah. No, no. So that actually actually originated is that we did some socials and we had uh, the perk up mug, uh, and people thought it was great. We have this thing where you can buy a coffee and we refund people's uh, coffee, so you get a free coffee basically, and it happens instantly, right? What about uh, a so it's really cool. mocha? Because I've I've, I've known to get a seven dollar large um uh, strong mocha. <laughs> yeah, what's the price? We, well, we, we, we'll probably do it for you, but uh, we capped it at five dollars. Yeah, we we capped it at five dollars, so it had to be less than five bucks um but anyway um and then people were wondering whether or not the perk up mug mug was real and it wasn't real at the time it was just a digital mug um which would spin around inside the app when you when you got your free coffee um but everyone loved it so much that we literally went out and manufactured these mugs now and we give them away and people can't believe it so uh, i think manifesting things Mm. physically that you've only ever known digitally it's just amazing like it brings a whole new sort of tangibility and feeling to uh, to the brand um, and, and and people like Caitlin reach out all the time and go oh, I'd love yeah. to I'd love to get a perk up mug yeah. and yeah if Caitlin wants to reach out we'll literally give me your address and we'll send you one. Yeah. Uh, I that's, mean, on that's the, Paul. I mean, it is. But also <laughs> on the admin side, I'm dealing with some mug issues at the moment, trying to source mugs. Do you have a, supp- a good supplier? And, yeah, and what's sure. the what's the sort of the cost? Can we per jump unit? on the back end of your what's, order? Yeah, what's the cost per <laughs> unit? Do you know? No, no, like, it's a very good question. Uh, now, let me just tell you this. I used to run a record label. Um, mm. It was one of my pr- previous businesses. And so we did a lot of merch manufacturing. We used to tour around Australia and do a lot of gigs. And we, so we sold a lot of merch and stuff. Um, and, and that company that used to do it, the guy that we used to work with, Brian, um, it's now 20 years later. And he is the guy that now makes our perk-up mugs. Really? Um, great. So, uh, What's Brian's so, yeah. business? Can you, say, can you reveal the company name? Or like, or is it? You, do you keep your suppliers close? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell no, us? No, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, no, no. I'll tell you off air. But I think he's... Um, it's, 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 he's changed the name. It used to be called Modern, but now I think his company's called Wow or Yow or something. Um, I'll, uh, I'll send it to you guys. Mugs and uh, I'm not getting, <laughs> I'm not getting much. No, no, mugs. no. He, d- <laughs> he does it. He, he does everything. Yeah, he does everything. Yeah, he, he, yeah. I love it. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah. So, but but, but for, for me, that's the people connection. You know, is that mm-hmm. he used to do a really good job for us uh, 20 years ago, and I introduced him to our crew at uh, at, at Ferocia, and yeah, he now makes for us uh, pins, mugs. Uh, I don't know, T-shirts, whatever we need. Uh, he, he's the man. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Perfect. Maybe he'll be a megaphone sponsor one day too. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Dom, thanks so much. Thanks, and, buddy. Uh, yeah, we'll get you no on worries. again soon. Uh, it's I'll the, be happy to. Thanks for having me. It's a daily talk show. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, guys. Have a good one. See you guys.